Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing the most topical energy matters in an informal setting. My name is Richard Svarsson and I'm joined today by my colleague Ola Vilnes, who is Montel's Nordic Chief Editor. Our guest today is Marius Holm-Brandersen, analyst and partner at Tema, an Oslo-based consultancy. A warm welcome to you, Marius. Thank you very much. Today, we return to the issue of wind power in the Nordic region. Quite a sensitive topic at the moment for several reasons, I think. We talked about this early in the year, Marius, and things have moved on since there. Since then, sorry. There have been several onshore protests in several regions of Norway. What's the current status, Marius? There's now also been uh, established a, uh, a anti-wind organization that spans across, the, across Norway, and uh, so, so the opposition has really uh, gained traction over the, the past four or five months. Um, we also seen that where the, uh, the regulator uh, published their national framework uh, on wind power and that sparked even more opposition and they in fact had to, to withdraw that framework. Uh, so I think it's, uh, it's a more difficult situation for wind investors now than it was the last time we talked. Okay, even five months ago. Even right? five months ago. We'll return to the sort of roadmap that was laid out by the regulator a bit later on. But I, I just want to touch on this, this element. So the protests are building, the opposition is building. Does that mean the companies are getting very nervous here? Are, are developers pulling out or has it not quite reached that? I mean, there are some big international companies investing in wind in Norway. Well, it's difficult to say. I mean, we had kind of a rush to get the projects online before the end of 2021 to, to be able to to get our certificates so most of those projects they're they're still there they will be built they've started to build them mm. uh, so what's interesting is what will happen beyond 2021 we in our you know best best view also before this opposition came thought that it would kind of flatten out the investments in in onshore wind because you see so much coming the next few years whether players will withdraw i i think that's uh, that's an interesting uh, topic to discuss what we see is that some of the regional uh, Norwegian power companies now actually got uh, mandates to invest in wind mm. uh, before this uh, this debate sparked. Some of them say that, well, we're a local uh, utility, we know the area, we know the people, we can handle the public opposition and we mm. can involve people in a good way and they will still move forward with these projects. Mm. Uh, others are, I think, a bit, bit of skeptical and more afraid than they were five months ago on the uh, on the uh, foreign developers and, and foreign pension funds companies there's also a mixed picture i would guess mm -hmm. uh, some of them um, have kind of an arm length distance to this mm. uh, and, and I guess we'll still see that the resources are very good here and, mm. and we'll try to get the best projects and the projects where the opposition is, is less while others might, uh, might be more reluctant to invest here. Mm. Uh, we have even had some talks about some of the, uh, the foreign utilities that they have said that they consider selling uh, mm. some of their assets oh, if really? the opposition okay. is, uh, is so fierce that it has been. 
Mm. And just to touch on the opposition, um, I mean, is it mere nimbyism or is it more, you know, is these more kind of uh, environmental groups who are protesting against potentially the danger to, to bird life or or the way that they look in sort of areas of natural beauty? You know, is that is that are those the main areas? Yeah, I, I think both of those areas are important, but we see more of a kind of classical uh, local environment, uh, nature reserves etc versus the the climate issue mm. so it's um, you know the the opposition thinks that we spoil unspoiled nature across uh, Norway well for foreign investors building uh, wind power uh, that we don't really need mm. uh, because we're moving towards a surplus of power in the Nordics of course um, yeah. so I think the fact that most of the investments of most of the owners are now foreign mm. and that most of the power will be exported even though we, we foresee a uh, increase in power demand in in, oil in the Nordics, mm-hmm. I think that has kind of put an extra push to uh, push to the opposition. Okay, so it's the the nasty foreigners coming in, spoiling beautiful Nor- Norwegian nature. Yes. Yeah, that's that's what we see, and and that's kind of the most vocal part of the opposition, at least feels that way. But then, of course, you've got if you've got local communities involved or local and regional power companies, then they should be making the point that a lot of the, the the revenues from this will be will be pushed back into local services and uh, is that point being made strongly as well well I, I don't I don't think uh, the uh, the utilities have been good enough to communicate this both in terms of taxes that come back to the local community property tax for now there's also propositions of, of uh, additional taxes in the future mm. but it's difficult to tax it too hard when it just have reached kind of uh, maturity and, and being profitable mm. measured against the power price alone i think for the uh, for the local utilities and, and investors it is important to focus on what it in fact gives back to the the local community mm. yeah but of course that's it's def- difficult to get that message across if it's you know it's a very emotive issue of course you know nature and the environment so it, it's it's tricky it's a, it's a very fine balancing act it's it's a fine balancing act and and also the the kind of local near issues uh, and weight that against the uh, the global climate issues that's also a balancing act and, and difficult for uh, for all involved parties to do I think you know a, a large part of the protesters anger was against um, what they perceived as a as a as a roadmap <clears throat> for the uh, the expansion of wind power in Norway by the regulator the NVE what's happened since then I mean you, you mentioned that maybe they backtracked a bit they've withdrawn that road roadmap. Uh, What are the reasons for that? Is that just in light of the local opposition? I think that's one important factor, but I also think it's kind of a a misperception of what that roadmap was. It was a roadmap uh, and not a a plan of how much to build and exactly where to build it. Mm. It was 13 different areas that were uh, deemed most suitable for wind development, both in terms of, of less environmental impact and good wind resources, etc. But I think it has been perceived as we will build as much as we can in these 13 areas. And we had uh, a TV debate just a couple of weeks ago where the host actually continuously was saying that this in these 13 areas we will or we can build 500 TVH of new wind power, mm. which is very far from what would happen. Mm. Uh, it might be technically feasible. 
but it will never happen economically and you will never get licenses for 500 terawatt hours yeah that, that's the power demand of germany yes exactly yeah. it's yeah. you know three three and a half times the power oh, demand of norway yeah. so uh, it doesn't make any sense but of course for people who don't know the power market uh, that's a number that that kind of sticks in your head that we will build an incredible amount of new uh, wind power that we don't need mm. and i think that's also been a problem or a challenge with this roadmap to kind of clearly communicate what it is and what it is not mm. uh, and it is not a plan for how much and exactly where to build them and it's not a plan saying that you wouldn't you will automatically get the license if you build in this area mm. um, so uh, there's also been uh, a challenge uh, in how this uh, roadmap have been communicated. So, so in a way, you could say that the government saw the public reaction to the roadmap, and then they just, instead of backing the NVA roadmap, they just said, "Okay, we listen to the people and we withdraw this and yeah. sort of scratch." So, in a way, you're back to where you were in, uh, before. Yeah, I think so. Now, I mean, the, the licensing system they now said will be revised. Uh, so that's an important development after this uh, roadmap was published. And in a way, they're, they're saying that it wasn't good enough the way it was. Uh, and I think one of the reasons for that is it's been, at least in the public opinion, too easy to, uh, to change the layout and the height of, uh, of uh, wind towers and wind farms uh, after you got the license. So many have been surprised what was agreed uh, when the license were issued was a tower height that was far less than what you actually has been realized. Uh, so that has been been one issue with this, uh, but yes, they've they've, they've gone back to basically uh, the system we had before. You can build all across Norway as long as you get a license. You just uh, presented a long-term study where you looked at the potential for reducing, or uh, if there is a full stop of handing out new licenses to Norwegian wind farms. What kind of an impact do you think this uh, new policy environment, uh, political environment, have for the future of wind power? projects in Norway? We, we basically run uh, three different scenarios concerning this wind, uh, onshore wind development. And we looked at one case where we actually stopped all wind investments in Norway beyond what has now reached a final investment decision. And of course, if you don't get any other investments, if it's not replaced by other capacity, uh, you will have an, a power price effect of roughly two euros per megawatt. So it's not huge, but of mm. course it's some. Uh, one of the reasons is not that big is that we also in our best guess case expect less wind investments after 2021 when, when the kind of push for getting L certificates are go is gone. And if it's replaced uh, by either offshore wind or maybe uh, onshore wind in, in Sweden or a combination of that, the price effect will be, be less, around one euro per megawatt. We also compare that to uh, not our best guess case, but a case where you can invest anywhere, not only in those 13 areas, but across Norway, uh, and you get a price effect of roughly three euros per, per megawatt. Mm. So there's definitely an effect, but it's not that big. And the reason for that is that it's so much wind capacity coming online in Norway over the next year, year and a half. 
Mm. Yes, it will definitely have an effect, but it's most likely that it will be uh, replaced partly by uh, wind uh, elsewhere in the Nordics, in Sweden, where the opposition is growing there as well, but it's much less than, than what we see in Norway. And you would also most likely see uh, more gas-fired power production in, in Germany and, and uh, Northern Europe to, to replace some of that uh, wind that would otherwise come in. From Norway. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And what, what you mentioned Sweden here, Maris. I mean, it, it's interesting here. Do you think and the opposition is growing there? Are they looking to what's happening in, in Norway, both the opposition and the companies that are developing? I mean, the developers may be getting a bit nervous, opposition growing. I mean, what was happening both in Sweden and in Finland? Well, I, I think we see uh, some growth in the opposition in Sweden, but Sweden is in a very different uh, situation than Norway. First of all, they've got a gradual build-out since 2003 of wind. Mm. Uh, in Norway, you didn't get much capacity coming online before you know the last 18 months or so. Uh, so they're more used to uh, this development. They're more used to seeing wind farms, and uh, it's a more central well people live more centralized in in sweden so mm. it's less people uh, living where the wind farms in fact are built mm. um so that's also a factor but and of course it's not as beautiful as norway of course it's not <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yes i think uh we might see uh, some more resistance also in sweden but but my you know best guess is that some of that capacity that maybe not will be built in Norway, will be built in, in Sweden instead. And that some of the uh, foreign investors will uh, look more to Sweden now than, than just five months ago. A main driver in Sweden has, of course, been the Alsat scheme, which came early on in Sweden. It came yeah. in the early 2000s and then Norway joined the market in 2012. Uh, but now the last week, the Swedish energy minister, he said that Sweden may end the scheme already in 2021. Yeah. Which is, the previous plan was to end stopping subsidies in 2030. Yeah. Do you think his statements, what do you make of them? Will they sort of, could that put a break even to the Swedish development or is the price of Elsa too low for that? Yeah, I, I think the price of Elsa is too low. And even though if you stop it in 2021, you will get an overcapacity in that market and, and very low prices. So our advice to any investor over the last two years has been to uh, look upon the LCERT as a nice add-on, uh, but not put it into your uh, to your calculations uh, on, the, on this project. Mm. It's too uncertain and, and prices will go down whether they close it in 2021 or 2030. Mm. Because now it's like SEC 30 megawatt hour or something, like three euros per megawatt hour yeah. maximum. Yeah, and it will, it will be approach zero, probably not yeah. go to zero because there are some costs associated with, with trading them and having the system up and running. And that's also one of the reasons that the Swedish minister would like to, to end it early mm. uh, because basically eventually the prices will be so low that, that it's just the cost of having the system going. But I think uh, the investors have seen this for, for quite some time and, and with the uh, cost development for uh, onshore wind, uh, which has fallen significantly over the last years, uh, you, and the increased power prices you see now with a CO2 price uh, at 25 and a CO2 market that works again. I, I, I think that's sufficient to, to lead to more wind investments in Sweden. There is also a, a tricky thing there politically between Norway and Sweden because as the Norwegian energy minister, he just told us this week that he would not accept the earliest closure in Sweden if it leads to higher altered prices for Norwegian yeah. customers. Um, do you sense a conflict there or will sort of stop any 
reforms? Yeah, it, it might stop reform, but again, I don't think he should be uh, too concerned with higher L certificate prices with an early uh, closure. There are some uh, proposals where you have an early closure and also stop awarding certificates when you reach the uh, 696 million, which is what is stated in the law that should be issued. If you do that, you might maintain higher prices for some more years. Uh, and I think that's the only option where you do, in fact, not get an L certificate price going to zero, very close to zero over the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. And the bottom line is that the, this joint Norwegian-Swedish target for 2030 will be reached already now in 2020-21. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. I think one of the key elements in the whole picture, Marius, isn't it, that uh, you know the, the prices for building onshore wind uh, have you know, tumbled massively. You've yeah. got higher power prices. You've got then, the, the, you know, partly due to higher CO2 prices. Mm-hmm. This obviously makes the, the case for building subsidy-free renewables you know, very clear. You yeah. know, and, uh, Um, and instead of looking at the subsidies ways, I mean, then you have the big PPA market. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you'd think with all the environment that the PPA market would still be booming, but it seems to have cooled off a bit in the Nordics. Is that something you'd share? And what, what are the reasons for that? Or is it just a temporary blip? That's difficult to say. I mean, some of the larger industrial players, at least in Norway, have now bought what they need for the coming years. But I think there's still a number of industries in Sweden where we haven't seen that much of new PPAs being uh, completed over the uh, over the last few years, where there's still a market. And I, I think we also will see different designs of PPAs, maybe mm-hmm. more short-term PPAs, mm-hmm. maybe more pooling of smaller industrial customers to one large PPA. I mean, there's many ways to structure it. And, and for the right trader here, there's uh, an opportunity. But is there, is there a disconnect because the, you know, maybe some of the developers want shorter term deals, but the customers would want that price security in the long term, 10, 12 years? You know, is, is, is that an issue here? It could be. I mean, it depends on the off-taker. Some are happy with the five, six, seven years. The large aluminium players would like, you know, 15, 20. So, so there might be a discrepancy there, but, but I think it's, it's possible to overcome that and being actually able to make more deals. Mm. I think one important factor here is that we've had a lot, well, all PPAs almost that's come over the, the last three years has been connected to a specific wind farm. And there's a lot of new wind farms now coming online mm. and everybody wants to have a PPA because it's German pension funds staying being the owners and they have a lower uh, or can live with a lower expected return. But in order to do so, they need some security and a PPA serves that security. And it's a buyer's market because you have so many new projects coming online and Mm. and a number of them say that well they won't make money on the ppa what they will make money on is the uh, period beyond the ppa horizon Mm. so in that way maybe some of them would like uh, a shorter uh, duration of the ppa as well okay so to have more market exposure from year seven eight nine ten so Mm. yeah there is a discrepancy there it seems between the prices in the wholesale market and what the analysts expect 
that yeah. in general you have a higher expectation uh, among most analysts mm. than you mm. see in the market. Yeah, I think that's something we've seen over the past years. I mean, it's difficult to, to explain that difference. We can, of course, explain why we end up with those prices we do and, and mm. the other analysts can as well. But the market doesn't seem to, to agree with us. We've been uh, a few euros uh, above the forward market for quite some time. On the other hand, uh, going beyond uh, three years ahead, the liquidity hasn't been very good at the financial mm. market. So whether that's a good reference or, or not can, can, of course, be discussed. Mm. Sure. But if I understand you correctly, Maris, I think you'd, you know, there's, there's going to be a variety of deals, type of deals out there probably growing in complexity yeah. um, with different, you know, you could like you have the, you know, the pooling similar to maybe the, the Finnish model with nuclear power, you know, that these could sort of grow and grow. So it's far from slowing. It could, it's just taking different shapes and, and you, you expect it to, to continue yeah, to grow. We, we do. And it, it takes some time to come up with new models and new ways of doing this. You know, the straightforward deals maybe has been done now for many of the larger customers, but, but there's still room for more. And it also depends on on the demand growth, do you will we see a lot of new data centers coming in? That will lead to even more PPAs and other sectors as well. So, so you know what you expect in terms of increased demand will also be important. If we return to the wind issue, uh, if if you you mentioned the offshore wind, uh, mm. there's also been a debate in Norway, even in Sweden, yeah. on, on expanding uh, offshore. Do you, th- do you see more of the uh, new production coming there instead of onshore? Across Europe, we see more onshore uh, wind coming online. If you look at Norway uh, or the Nordics, uh, we can see some developments in, in uh, the Baltic Sea, but it will be take some time before it's actually profitable. I think uh, off the Norwegian coast, it's so deep, so we would have to look at uh, floating wind, which is more expensive. So if we are to see much more offshore wind development there, subsidies are, are necessary. Mm-hmm. What's the price difference today between floating and offshore? Is it is it very big? Or? Yeah, it's yeah. it's definitely big. Uh, onshore is now not a mature technology, but more mature technology. Uh, and you see that when you when you look at the auctions in in uh, Germany, the Netherlands, Denmark for large offshore wind farms. They often bid zero, a zero subsidy. That doesn't mean they don't get a subsidy because mm-hmm. there's some of implicit subsidies with, with free grid connections, etc. But still, I mean, it, it's now reaching profitability without subsidies and, and you would need uh, significant subsidies uh, offshoring in Norway for floating but I think do you think there's a generally there's a sense of saturation of onshore wind in in some areas we're seeing it slowing down quite a lot in Germany is this something that you know you you as you you've got the NIMBY issue in Norway of course but people don't want these these massive turbines close to their homes yeah, and, yeah. And I, I think we see that in Germany as well and there's eventually there will be uh, some kind of limitation also on the on the land and then in the areas you can actually build. So I think that might lead to offshore wind being more necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that will be driven by other factors than than the pure cost. We see that with the opposition in Norway. We see that it sparked a bit debate about onshore. Everybody offshore. Everybody wants offshore now, but they don't have a feeling for how much it will cost. And if you are to subsidize that, I think you you do it not to, to get necessary investments to meet the demand. It's more building offshore wind sector in Norway that could also be exporting technology, floating offshore wind sector in Norway that could also be exporting the technology across Europe. And 
building a home market in, in such a setting might be important. And of course, there are some political drivers as well. If you look at the targets now, Denmark will have a 70% emissions cut by 2030. Yeah. Finland will have... Um, claim to be renewable uh, carbon neutral by 2035 yeah. and then you have the uh, Norwegian uh, project of, of electrifying uh, um, petroleum installations in the North yep. Sea transport and so forth but is then that the, is there a case then for perhaps just do more with the hydropower you already have does it Great. There's a good potential there to, to even boost hydropower output. But I think also there, there are some misperceptions. I mean, there's a report out saying that there's a potential in upgrades of 30, 40 TVH. We've gone through that report in detail. And it's basically based on uh, a master study with very limited uh, data going into it. So we think that that potential is far less. A T- 5 TVH potential uh, is more likely if you look at what has happened over the last few years where you have actually upgraded uh, 50% of the Norwegian hydropower and received those 5 TVH. And, and you know, there's probably a potential for for the equal amount on the, the next or the last 50% that could be upgraded. That's far from enough to, to offset uh, what you could have gotten in, in onshore wind. But of course, a combination of some onshore wind, some upgrades in hydropower, Maybe some more small-scale hydropower, although with the the tax uh, report that came out a few weeks ago, the world looks a little bit more bleached for them. But I think we will get the combination of of all these technologies and probably also some offshore wind uh, also uh, in Norway, but but not uh, in the near future. That will come in in the 30s. So I think... um if I were to sum up, I'd say, you know, there's still a lot of potential for onshore, mainly for onshore, a little bit for offshore. Yeah. Um, but we're looking at, you know, wind being the big driver here in, in terms of generation capacity and the yeah. impact on prices going forward. So I think that's all about, that's about all from me. So um, thank you very much, Marius, and thank, and you. thank you, Olaf. So listeners, please keep up to date with all the, the latest energy stories on Montel News and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Goodbye.